It's the Criterion. It's the Criterion. 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 N. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Criterion Project. I am Conrado Falco, and with me, as always, is the wonderful Rachel Wagner. Rachel, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. So good to be here. That's right. Um, today, we're going to talk about Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. But before yes. we do that, we have a couple of things that we want to share with you. Um, First of all, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast, and we would like to ask you, if you enjoy the conversation, to please leave us a review on iTunes. That would really help us um, yes. spread the word and, um, you know, do good things for the podcast. Yes. You can also follow us on Twitter at CriterionPod. And if you want to send us an email, we would love to hear from you. And our email is acriterionproject at gmail.com. Um, we will be, we have a new segment of the show coming up later and we would really love to hear some responses to that uh, once we get to it. Um, but before we do, um, Rachel, last time we were talking about the Sundance Film Festival uh, and you were giving us some of your favorite and least favorite movies that you had seen, but you were not done with the festival. So what can you tell us about what happened since last time we recorded? Yes. So I, uh, I, yeah, I had a, uh, it was about midway through the festival that I, uh, that we talked and um, the one that I most enjoyed that I didn't talk about last time uh, is a film called Dick Johnson is dead. And uh, it's a documentary uh, that's going to be on Netflix. If you can look out for it, director Kirsten Johnson, what she did is she uh, was dealing with her father becoming older and so she decided to kind of basically make a eulogy for her dad, even though he was still alive and kind of explore the idea of grieving and loss. And, and it's, it's so sweet. I mean, her dad is the best person. I loved her dad so much. And, wow. uh, and I loved her. She was, I mean, first of all, she was great for the festival. I mean, she was, she gave an amazing Q and a where she actually came down into the, like into the crowd with the, the mic and was answering all these questions. She was so great. Um, but aside from that, I, I just, I really loved it. Maybe part of it is because my, my, you know, I lost both my grandmas last year and so I don't have any more of my grandparents living and uh, and I just loved her dad so much he was so he was so great and uh so and I love things about sort of he wasn't really a curmudgeonly old man but I love I had a such a close relationship to my grandpa mm -hmm. uh, to one of my grandpas and so I love things about grandpas <laughs> that's great so that's I, a real criterion pick I have to say yeah um, yeah, Kristen Johnson, her first movie, Camera Person, which is, uh, she's been working as a, uh, uh, like a cinematographer, I believe, in documentaries for a while. And her first movie was this thing called Camera Person, in which she used footage from all the stuff that she had been working on in the past, a kind of a diary. Wow. And that's already in the Criterion Collection. So, you know, her follow-up, Dick yeah. Johnson is Dead, is, um, you know, it's got a r raves from critics for the yeah. very highbrow critics of, you know, like film comment and whatever. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so you are in a very fancy company. Ooh. 
Uh, that's interesting. I, I'll have to watch it because I, I just loved her and I loved the movie. Um, and then also uh, Palm Springs, really cute, clever idea. Uh, Krista Milioti, who was the mother on How I Met Your Mother and hated the ending of that show so much. So I've always felt kind of like, oh, how, how could they do, do you so wrong? Um, so I was really excited to see her in this. Um, and uh, Andy uh, Sandberg is also in it. And it's a time loop movie where they get stuck living the same day over and over again. And uh, it was really, it was really charming. Very cute. I think that people will really love it. Um, and then finally, the other one I'll mention, there's definitely, well, there's two I'll mention that are very, very criterion-y. <laughs> um, okay. Nine Days uh, is a really clever uh, artsy movie that just to me worked. Uh, and uh, it's about a, uh, the world, it's, it's set before, it's this kind of way station for before people come down to earth and they have nine days to kind of prove that they are worthy or they are right to come down to earth. And you have Winston Duke playing this man who gets to make this, this decision of who gets to come. And, uh, and he's very, he's kind of depressed because the, one of his, one of his choices just committed suicide and he can't understand why she would do that. And, it was, I thought it was really good. I thought all the acting had a great cast um, and it was just kind of a clever, I love, it almost felt like a Corda, Corda um, movie to me. Uh, so mm. I, I, I enjoyed it. Then also definitely very criterion is the movie Tesla uh, with Ethan Hawke uh, playing Nikola Tesla, but it's very, this is a very weird movie um, where they, uh, they bring in a lot of, it's period piece, but they have these, they break the fourth wall a lot and they have these modern jokes. Like you'll see all of a sudden Thomas Edison is, has an iPhone and hmm. there's a whole scene where, uh, where Tesla sings karaoke to tears. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's, from a, heaven? yeah it's a, it's a weird movie, but I real I enjoyed it. And so, yeah. That sounds really cool. The director. Yeah. I'm not so surprised. Director Michael Almereda. He's, um, he made a version of Hamlet with uh, Ethan Hawke that took place in modern day back in 2000. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was him. And his uh, latest movie was called Experimenter, and it had a lot of those touches, too. It was about the Milgram experiment. Um, and uh, Peter Sarsgaard played Milgram, and, and they had, like, all these weird touches, like an elephant that went through the screen and stuff like that. So um, it seems to be his style. And I'm excited to see this because yeah. I love Ethan Hawke. It, he's great in it and he was loving it up at Sundance he was his his, uh, his Instagram was very entertaining <laughs> yeah well he seems like he's a Sundance type yeah. of guy that's yeah. he's in his element there yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I did uh, I really I enjoyed it I, I still said I'm not sure it, how much of it is sort of Sundance head at that point you know <laughs> Jesus like that but uh, but it was it was kooky it was weird it was different I liked it so right. those are that's those are there's some other things but you could check out on uh, rachelsreviews.net for my reviews of everything that i watched uh if you want to learn yeah. more you can also listen to a previous episode where rachel talks about a lot of the movies that she saw at yeah. sundance about yeah. 11 or so right um, and that was a really fun conversation yeah that was fun yeah all right before we get into the movie um what about the criterion channel have you watched anything there lately did you want to yes. recommend or talk about? Yes. So I rewatched uh, 
one of my favorite documentaries um, from director uh, Errol Morris, who I love, uh, called Gates of Heaven. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and this, uh, I first found out about it from uh, Siskel and Ebert, because I was a avid devotee of their mm-hmm. <laughs> of their show and mm-hmm. they loved this movie it was one of roger ebert's favorite movies ever and uh it's a really really great documentary where he interviews the the people behind this pet cemetery in uh in los angeles and uh and it's really just him these people just sort of talking about their life philosophies and and what uh and their sort of their theories on death and and uh and the afterlife and you know all these things and also there's the the people who own uh one of the cemeteries uh they have sort of their business philosophies there's a father and a son and and they're great and hilarious and and also touching and sweet and uh he just kind of would let people just sort of go off and just ramble and it, and there's just so many it's a very quotable movie it's a really charming movie i i, I love it i think it's so good so i i highly recommend it if uh if you're open to quirky uh creative uh documentaries wow wonderful i have never seen it actually so um yeah and everything you're saying uh, makes it really even more excited to see yeah. it than i was before um yeah, I watched also a movie that I think also fits into the quirky uh, kind of genre. It's called um, Zazie in the Metro, or like it's a, the French title is Zazie dans le Metro, I think. And, but it's translated as Zazie at the Metro. And it's a movie from 1960 directed by Louis Mal. It's a French movie, as you might imagine. And it's uh, one of the, I guess it's a little bit debated whether or not it fits in the French New Wave, but it does have that style. First of all, it's a totally crazy, bonkers movie. I don't know. Have you ever heard of this movie before, Rachel? I don't think I have. Okay, so it's about this little girl who um, who goes on a... Her mom takes her to Paris, but her mom has something to do over the weekend, so she leaves her with uh, with an uncle. And this uncle is this like very... like. A kind of French dandy stuffy kind of guy and this little girl Sazie she's like a total firecracker you know she's like the kid who like won't sit still she just wants to go in the metro but the metro is closed because there's a strike and then they just it's basically just going around Paris for like 90 minutes wrecking havoc it's like it's like totally anarchic movie it's like it's a, a cartoon like a Looney Tunes cartoon had become a movie basically mm-hmm. And it's really, really crazy. It's very funny at parts. Ooh. It might be a little too anarchic and too energetic for some people, but I kind of, I was really impressed. I was really into how uh, it committed to being crazy and, and cartoony. There's a scene in which Sazi is followed by this guy who, because she runs away from her uncle, and then this guy finds her in the street who's kind of like a, I don't remember if he's a police officer. He's just a guy who wants to return her to the uncle. And she, and it's something right out of Looney Tunes. This is montage in which Ceci, like basically like gives him some dynamite and like has him run over by a car and things like that. And it's so um, crazy and, and funny. And there's this other scene in which they go up the Eiffel Tower and they're doing these crazy stunts that I almost had a heart attack because I'm afraid of heights. And these people were just climbing on the Eiffel Tower and you could see like the 
you know, you could see how high up they were and they were like, no, like nets, no anything. I, I was about to pass out. It was so, <laughs> but it's so much fun and it's uh, truly, truly crazy. Yeah. Really. What's it called again? Um, so it's on the Criterion channel. It's Zazie dans le metro. Um, it's called Sazi in the metro or Sazi at the metro. They usually just do the French name, I think, because I, my guess is that it never actually was got a commercial release in the U.S. And that's why it goes by the French name. Mm-hmm. It was under the family matinee section. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. if you go there, you'll find it. Yeah, it's under Sazi dans le metro in uh, on the channel. Oh, that sounds good. Hey, is it old or, or, or 1960. Modern? Oh, 1960. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds really good. It sounds nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> but that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, let's talk about Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Yes. Um, so, I guess a little context for this movie. Released in 2000, uh, went to the Cannes Film Festival where it had its premiere. It was, uh, it got an award for best actor for Tony Leung, who plays Mr. Chow. And then it uh, became a pretty big hit for Wonka Wai. He was kind of known as a sort of art house director at that point, but this was his biggest hit yet. And it's, um, it was critically beloved. It was put on some, a lot of best, uh, best of the decade lists and best of the year lists. And I think uh, it's regarded one of the very best movies of the 21st century. Um, so Rachel, why don't you give us a little bit of what you thought about the movie? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. And I, I, I you had made the comparison to brief, a brief encounter. The big difference between it and a brief, a brief encounter is that, uh, you have, uh, the, they actually show the, and deal with their spouses as like a plot element as opposed to this um uh, which you never see them and i don't know i i'm still sort of pondering that choice uh it and it's an interesting i'm curious for your thoughts about that um Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah i mean i think that this is a very slick and a very stylish movie and i think that it helps it a lot the fact that it doesn't uh outstay its welcome uh, it doesn't, it's only 98 minutes. And I think that really helps just keep it kind of tight and you're able to just focus on these, uh, these characters. Cause there's not a ton of plot really in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I think that uh, that helps a lot. And I, yeah. so I, I did, I really enjoyed it and talk about some other things uh, that I liked about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, overall I did enjoy it. So let's get into the plot a little bit then. Um, movie takes place in 1962 uh, in Hong Kong. And it's a, it's a romance movie. It's basically like Brief Encounter. It's the story of these, these two married people who are neighbors and they discover that their spouses are having an affair with each other. And so they... Um, can they want to deal with this? And in order to deal, they come up with this idea of like, kind of like play acting to try to figure out how their spouses might have fallen in love. But then of course, by doing it, they kind of fall in love together. And this makes it sound a little, I think a little simpler than it actually is, because like you say, the style of the movie, I feel like in this case, we're talking about a movie where the style is the movie almost, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's so stylish. The cinematography by, um, Christopher Doyle and Mark Lee Pingbin. 
is like these like very intense colors, like all red and green and you know yellow. Um, yeah, what do you think of that? I feel like it's it's oh, kind of yeah. like. Yeah, I think that's where it really stands out. And one thing I I was very interested in is particularly the music. Uh, I I just I don't know why it it it's the first time that I've ever seen a foreign film, an international film, if you want to say it, an international film that uses another language than the the music from another language mm. in the in their film and. Uh, and I'm sure it ha happens a bunch, but I don't know. It was just really interesting that sort of the main, uh, um, yeah, the main theme, theme the, yeah, yeah, was this uh, quesas, quesas, quesas. Yeah, uh, not can call. There's like a, yeah. there's like one or yeah, quesas, 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 and then there's the other. Um, there's another Spanish not can call song that they use, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, and uh, it and it's is a very very sleek and very stylish song, and it just kind of added mm -hmm. uh, this layer to me that I thought yeah. was interesting. That is a very uh, Wong Kar Wai thing to do. I don't know uh, if you are familiar with some of his other movies he did, um, but I'm thinking of like the movie like Chunking Express from the '90s, which mm -hmm. was kind of like his big breakthrough mm -hmm. and in that movie he also like kind of like chooses these pieces of music and he like uses them over and over again it almost like a like a motif right in this mm -hmm. in, in in the mood for love it's the napkin call in the in that movie there's the california dreaming by the mamas and the papas that there's this character who just keeps listening to that song over and over again and mm -hmm. it's just like this he, i think he's just this guy like i don't know if you saw some of the interviews that they have up in the criterion channel with him but this is this guy who like he's always wearing sunglasses he like all of his movies are about like this peep solitary like lonely people in hong kong who like fall in love but like it doesn't work out and things like that mm -hmm. um so he's got that very kind of like i don't know he's like a romantic cool guy i would say i don't know how to describe mm -hmm. his his stuff um yeah I, he would yeah i wonder who would be the the i mean in a way it kind of reminded me a little bit of of uh this you know recent once a time in hollywood a little bit just that it's kind of following these characters and it's not like super plot heavy but it's just kind of slick and uh about you know just these characters and in that case it's about friendship but uh in in this it's about a romance but uh yeah. i don't know i mean it's interesting because um because he came uh around the same time as tarantino in the 90s and actually tarantino was kind of the the big a big supporter of chunking express and of getting the movie released in the u.s mm. um so i think for for a while in the 90s especially the two were very associated right like it, it they a lot of people i feel like we're thinking of him as kind of like a tarantino of the mm -hmm. of asia even though he his movies are not nearly as violent and they're very different in, in style in in many ways right they're mostly romances which tarantino doesn't do very much right and they're um yeah and they're more they're a different speed but um mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh the, the one part that i didn't like as much is i felt like the sort of the comic relief of like various friends and uh people he worked with and stuff like that i 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't my favorite. Uh, uh, that I mean, I, I guess you kind of need a breakup from the from the tension of their relationship, but uh, I don't know. I, yeah. it, it it wasn't my favorite that part. I can see that. I think what's interesting about those characters to me is that they. Um, I think what makes the movie interesting, and I don't know how it is in Brief Encounter because I haven't seen it in so long. I barely remember it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think these, so they live in this apartment building and one of the neighbors, they are renting rooms in other people's apartments, right? From what I understand. That was a little bit confusing to me. But so the landlady in this, in this house um, is one of the supporting characters I think that you're talking about. And the other is the guy that, that um, Mr. Chow, the the main character, the main male character, works with, and yeah. and what I thought was interesting is that these two that fall in love, they don't want to, they kind of like have this moral code, like like we can't have a relationship because we are better than our spouses and we're not going to cheat, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the 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 vibe that I got. That like their spouses are having an affair with each other, but we are not. She said she tells him at one point, right? We're not going to be like them. Um, like we're not going to like have an affair because we're married and we know that this, we have this moral code. And I, what I thought was interesting is that the moral code is not like the society is making them do it. It's kind of like coming from them because everyone around them is having affairs, right? Like her, the woman, um, Mrs. Chan, played by Maggie Chung, the main female mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. her boss is having an affair and she's his secretary and she's basically buying gifts for the woman that his boss is sleeping with, right? As part of her job. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Mr. Chow, his, um, his co-workers is also talking about having affairs and like going to the brothel or whatever, right? So right. I think it's very interesting that everyone around them is like very comfortable with like just messing around. Uh, but, but these two, they have this sort of thing of like, we can't do it like we are we are respectable good people and and we are going to do what's right which i think it's kind of like the um i don't want to say tragic but you know it's kind of like the tension and the kind of like yeah bittersweet thing about this romance that kind of never happens fully yeah i mean how do you feel about the fact they don't ever really show the uh the spouses um I think I think it's an interesting choice. Um, I mean, I'm curious to see how how you feel about it because you have seen *Brief Encounter* more recently, and and you seem to have more uh, more thoughts about it than I do. Um, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't really thought of it as such a important choice, but now that you mention it, I am starting to to wonder about that. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I that's why I say I think this works because it kept because it is 98 minutes uh uh, that it keeps it as kind of this um uh, it keeps it uh keeps you from getting kind of frustrated on that account Mm -hmm. uh you know i think that that can be really smart in movies when they don't allow you to really kind of question things in that way because i because if they're tightly edited enough you just keep going with the story but uh but i i do think it kind of adds a layer on the other hand that that because it just makes it messier the more when when you get to see the Mm -hmm. other people involved you know Mm -hmm. in the situation and uh you also kind of you would learn more about 
both of their backstories of what led them to these, you know, these relationships, which then led to their relationship. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it could have allowed them to sort of explore themes of forgiveness and, uh, and temptation, I guess, and things that, uh, that they weren't really allowed to do because you didn't see the, uh, you didn't see that relationship. And so the, you can't really forgive something that we haven't even seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, where you do in Brief Encounter, uh, and uh, you, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's actually quite different, the, the themes and the messages behind the different movie, between mm. both movies, I think. And uh, so, I don't know, I, in some ways, I, I kind of wish we had gotten to see them, uh, and, or at least have some kind of comparison between, between the two, so you kind of understand uh, it would be interesting to to see it, but on the other hand, I think it kind of works as this experiment. Mm-hmm. I think I, I guess about that choice, I would say it probably. Um, if I had to justify it, I would probably go back to what I was saying before. I feel like the fact that we don't see the the people, the spouses, the cheating spouses, maybe makes it make makes it even more like. I don't know. I feel like the movie is trying to be like, you two should get together, right? Like they, they're kind of like, because it's so beautiful to look at. And when they look together, the both of them, I don't know if you agree with me. I think they're gorgeous people, Tony Leung and Maggie Chung, and they look so mm-hmm. great. And they're wearing, she's wearing these amazing dresses and he is so slick with his suit. And they're, they're both like, so um, I don't know. So yeah, so beautiful. They're like two movie stars and you're and the, the like mm-hmm. everything is red and green and it's like you should be together and uh, like we have even removed your spouses from the picture so that you can get together but there's something within themselves that keeps them apart right this right. thing of like something that is going on um, mm-hmm. inside of their heads and, and in the way they see the world and who the, they see themselves as because I feel like a lot of the time um I guess that this happens in relationships. I see not always, but um, people who, um, um, not always, but sometimes I feel like people stay together because of something that um, that has to do with with a specific belief of who who they want to be to the world, right? Like I always think of myself, not not me specifically, but I'm just thinking of a person who might be like I always thought that I would get married and I would never get divorced. And so I will not get divorced because, um, because then I won't be the person that I always wanted to be. Right. Uh, and it's, there's no, there isn't that flexibility, right? Like there isn't this, and I feel like that flexibility is kind of like the thing that you need in order to make a relationship work. Even if, you know, just embracing that might even result in a better marriage and you won't even get divorced. But I don't know. I feel like that rigidity is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, the, in the Wikipedia, they have a quote from the director uh, saying that he was very influenced by Hitchcock's Vertigo making the film. And he compared uh, Tony Long's character to Jimmy Stewart's character in that film. And uh, it says, the role of Tony in the film reminds me of Jimmy Stewart's in Vertigo. There is a dark side to his character, 
I think it's very interesting that most of the audience prefers to think that this is a very innocent relationship. These are the good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful and they refuse to be. Nobody sees any darkness in these characters, and yet they are meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses and of having an affair. I think this happens because the face of Tony Leong is so sympathetic. Just imagine if it was John Malkovich playing the role. You would think, this guy is really weird. It's the same in Vertigo. Everybody thinks Jimmy Stewart is a nice guy, so nobody thinks that his character is actually very sick. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what's also interesting about this is that there's actually a sequel to In the Mood for Love, kind oh, of, yeah? called 2046, in, which is the number of the room in the hotel room in which he goes. And, and I feel like in that scene, and he kind of wants to um, basically sleep with Mrs. Uh, Chan, but then she comes and then she's like, no, we're not going to be like them and they don't do anything. Um, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But in the <laughs> sequel, apparently, which I have never seen, but now I'm really curious to see, it focuses on Mr. Chow and kind of what happens with him after this affair. And and apparently, he I think he gets divorced from his wife because we see him at the end of this movie going to Singapore and then to these other countries. Um, so I'm wondering to see what happens there and how this this theory of Mr. Mr. Chow as this kind of um, you know, not so nice guy continues in that sequel. Mm-hmm. And you can really get a long way with casting. I mean, we, we've seen it with uh, with Tom Hanks. You know, in in that you, it's almost impossible mm-hmm. to to dislike character. You can play gangster. You can play you know kind of things. It's totally. Tom Hanks, so you have you just have a hard time disliking him. Yeah. And we were talking about it in the shop around the corner with Jimmy Stewart again, right? Like how in the restaurant, speaking of Tom Hanks and You've Got Mail and Jimmy Stewart, how they pull off those scenes that could come off as very off-putting if a different actor were playing them. And and similar to Vertigo, where it's kind of a a, a mystery, you know, like you get these clues and uh, along with the character and and you you have a, a... uh, theme of kind of madness in that one as well but but i don't know i feel like with this it's also we just keep getting kind of clues uh to these people through throughout mm-hmm. the film and uh so i can i i when you said that i was like yeah i can really see that like both both films feel very sleek to me and uh and uh you know very well packaged if that makes sense <laughs> yeah so i yeah. thought that was interesting great I think it's uh, probably time to get into our questions. Yes. Um, so the first question that we have is, what do you think makes In the Mood for Love a Criterion Collection movie? Uh, I definitely think the style. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a very, it's a very stylish, very uh, the great production design, great the way it uses music, uh, the editing. I don't know. I just think altogether it feels very. Uh, it feels like an auteur type film Mm -hmm. totally i i I agree with that um i think wonka why he's just has such a particular way of making movies um his style like you're saying but also something we didn't talk about is that he famously um doesn't write a script for his movies he just gets an idea gets actors and he starts shooting and his movies sometimes take multiple years to finish because he just keeps improvising and doing more and more 
shooting until he finally comes up with a, with a movie that he likes. And that is a, you know, that sounds to me like a very, very nerve wracking way to, yeah. to, to work. Um, and obviously that's, um, that's happened with him a lot is that, uh, well, sometimes he starts making one movie and then he ends up making two or three out of the one shoot. But um, other times, and especially in recent years, it's been a long time since he's had a movie since The Grandmaster, which he did in 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's because his shoots go on for so long and it takes him so long to figure out um, what the movie actually is. But that is also a very unique thing that not a lot of directors yeah. do. So it definitely stands out, you know, that as a, one of a kind guy. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it definitely feels very criterion worthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and the second question is, um, where do you think this ranks in the pretentious scale? So yeah. the pretentious scale uh, will tell us if a movie, how pretentious a movie is and whether it deserves to be pretentious. Yeah, I don't think it's that pretentious. I, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some artistry before it, but nothing that's not that accessible i I feel like it's pretty accessible uh but i know i I gave it a six Mm -hmm. i didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it was too bad i can feel it i i might go a little higher actually i think um i mean i I love the movie uh but i do think it's quite a bit i don't know i think something about this Mm -hmm. whole style over substance thing can be can go in both directions right you can have someone like a, i don't know like a Zack snyder or a michael bay which is all like flashy flashy action and not very pretentious at all it's just style for style's sake in one direction right. and then you can have something like this which is kind of like let me tell you something very um something very emotional and very profound with my style right which i think it's mm-hmm. on the more pretentious end of the scale which is probably where i put this but like you say it's a very relatively easy to follow movie there's not a lot of plot it's you know you get the idea we've seen movies about people falling in love and having affairs so i'll probably go like as eight or so Mm, okay good very good great um and now i guess it's time to reveal our new segment which is something we just came up with and we'll see how it goes it's called um the remake game which is in which we are going to each going to pitch an idea for how to remake the movie we're talking about. In this case, we're going to pitch a remake that I think a lot of people would be very pissed if it actually happened. But what, how would we do a remake of In the Mood for Love? Rachel, do you have an idea? I am so excited about this idea. I think it's really, I love my idea. Uh, okay. So what I would do uh, one of the things that really impressed me about the movie, like I said, was that it had was this sort of mixture of cultures with this Spanish uh, music mm-hmm. with this uh, in this Chinese setting. And so what I would do is kind of embrace that Spanish side to try to do something different because you don't want to just make the same movie again. And mm-hmm. so I'm a little nervous about this just because the last time that uh, Jennifer Lopez made a remake of a uh, of a uh, Japanese romance, film, yeah. uh, Shall We Dance? I really disliked uh, that movie. Um, I love the original, but anyway. So, but here's my pitch. So, what you do is you would have it set in Mexico, and you would have Jennifer Lopez and uh, and Antonio Banderas playing the two 
leads. And okay. yeah, which I think would, I think they'd have great chemistry. They're pretty close in age, I think. And I think that they could totally pull it off and do a good job. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we wanted to be really crazy and really try something different, uh, I think you could make this movie into a musical. Oh, Rachel. Yes. Okay. okay. I think it has, you could get the Lopez's who haven't done You know, they're probably, they've finished all their Disney stuff. They don't have a big project. So it's like perfect time. And I think they could totally, uh, you know, sort of, I think that they have the, definitely the chops to do it. And I think that it would be fun to see them do something more adult after mm-hmm. uh, after all this disney for so long yeah and uh and obviously j-lo can sing and antonio Antoni can sing too. yeah he was in Evita, so hey why not and i just think it could be really cool and- wow okay i'm really loving this yes. okay yeah. wow i would love to see that movie actually someone make that happen <laughs> yeah, it would be so good i would love it uh, and and the director i would have is I would have Patricia Riggin do the directing. She did a movie called Under the Same Moon uh, a few years ago uh, about these uh, this mother and son, the immigrants who are separated. And it was it's a really sweet, lovely little movie. Uh, and I think that she would do a good job. And mm-hmm. so so you'd have it would be great. <laughs> do it. Wow okay okay wow i think that's a great idea actually okay well my idea we'll see maybe it's not now i don't feel like it's not as exciting but i (laughs) I will stand by it my idea is i think um um so this whole idea of them being neighbors made me think of like where would you put it and in american remake and i think you can do it like in new york city and you can have like in a neighborhood that is being like the gentrified you know so like the this new family moves into the building and you have a guy who's been living there for a long time and suddenly these people who are from not from the neighborhood move in and he's kind of like grumpy about it but then he kind of falls in love with the with the uh, wife of the of the family and i think it should be played by oscar isaac would be the guy who's been living Uh. there you know in that mostly latino neighborhood and the family moves in and the wife is carrie mulligan who played his uh, girlfriend or wife. I think she played his wife in the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling. So I think now it would be interesting to, instead of them being the married ones, have them reunite as the ones who are like falling in love and Mm -hmm. potentially cheating on their spouses. And in terms of the director, I thought you want someone who has a lot of style um, who is interested in romance and who knows a lot about like New York City and the, the neighborhoods in the city and gentrification and all that thing. So I thought, why not reunite Carrie Mulligan with her director from the movie Mudbound? And that would be the great Dee Rees, who uh, I think is pretty sure she's from Brooklyn and she's made movies about New York and she's worked wonderfully with Carrie Mulligan in the past. And I would love to see what a Dee Rees romance would look like. Um, so that is my pitch. Yeah, I think uh, I I think we both I think we green light. I think uh, they. 
good. It's yeah. interesting they both went kind of the Latin uh, route. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. Like the the Nat King Cole sort of like you know Spanish music kind of like uh, subliminally um, got into my head also. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So I I really I'm excited about this new segment. And if you are listening, let us know your pitches. That would be really yes. Fun. Absolutely. Um, if anyone emails us their pitch or tweet that as their pitch, we will, I will promise we will read it in the next episode. Okay. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd love that. So, yeah. And then let okay. us know what you think of our pitches too. <laughs> yeah. Should we do a poll of which pitch is the, is the better pitch? I feel like, I don't know. This Antonio Jennifer Lopez yes. uh, combos has me scared that you're going to run away with both. So. <laughs> I was I so know. excited as I was coming out with like, ooh, and then I think so. and it, this is something that I, this was such a brilliant idea to add because I do this all the time on the Hallmarkies podcast. I'm always coming up with pitches. It's my favorite thing. Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this then. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, let us know about your pitches and let us know about anything else you want to say. If you've seen In the Mood for Love if you have any movies that you want us to cover on the podcast send us an email tweet at us you know where to find us as a podcast on twitter we're at criterion pod like we said on email it's a criterion project at gmail.com rachel if people want to talk to you directly because they want to scream at you about your opinion (laughs) where can they find you well wait before we got to talk about the next movie Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, what do yeah. we what do we have in store for next time? Yeah. Yeah. So um for next uh next our next episode, we are gonna talk about the black stallion. And uh this is uh I've actually never seen it and I've really wanted to see it. Uh it's been uh I've often heard it be called one of the great family films ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh it was made in nineteen seventy-nine. And uh, I, I, it's based on a book uh, about this uh, horse, and uh, and so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's um, uh, it's supposed to be really beautiful. Directed by Carol Ballard, and mm-hmm. uh, it uh, stars Terry Gar, and I think that that. Uh, Mickey Rooney, in yeah, it Mickey Rooney, uh, Mickey Rooney, uh, got an Academy Award nomination or something like that for it. Produced mm-hmm. by Francis Ford Coppola, so I'm really looking forward to finally watching this one. Yeah, it's definitely a very. Um, I think it's a movie that got a lot of praise back when it came out and was a big mm-hmm. deal, and it kind of has uh, disappeared a little bit, right? I don't see a lot of people talking about it anymore, but definitely beloved by those who have seen it from what mm-hmm. I can tell. Yeah. So I'm really excited to, to dive into it. Yeah. I heard a lot when, um, uh, when Peach Dragon came out, I heard a lot of comparisons. That's right. Uh, with, uh, with that movie with the black stallion. So um, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing it. I'm and really excited because I love Pete's dragon. Me too. So that's, that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Okay, Rachel. Now, please stop avoiding the issue. If people <laughs> want to email you to scream at you, yes. where can they do that? Yes. So you can uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So definitely check that out. And uh, at rachelsreviews.net, you can find all of my reviews. And uh, so if you want to contact, contact the podcast, you can go to Criterion Pod on Twitter and uh and leave us your thoughts on there we would love to to 
to hear that. And then you can send us an email at a criterion project at gmail.com. So definitely check that out. Totally. Leave us a review on iTunes as well if you're so inclined. If you want to find me personally, you can go on Twitter at Coco Hits New York is my handle. We want to thank Michael Lorette for doing our beautiful theme music. Yeah. And with that, I think that's it for this episode. Yes. All right. We'll talk to we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. Peace out. Hi everybody. Peace out. Yes. <laughs>